What's up? Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Friday, October 30th, 2015. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics, the only in-house union screen printer in Boston, specializing in custom uniforms and business apparel. Also, home of the best skate shopping in New England. So grab your skates, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester. There is plenty of parking out back. Give them a call for more information, 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. And make sure you tell them I sent you. It is a Friday. Halloween weekend is here. And uh, we don't have Patriots this weekend because they played last night, Thursday night football. And I told you, I told you going into this game, I told you all week, I told you the moment that the Miami Dolphins beat the Houston Texans. In fact, I told people that I was watching football with over the weekend at halftime of that Dolphins game where they were blowing out the Texans. I said, they are going to be feeling so good about themselves, so confident. You got this hot-ass coach in Dan Campbell who you know is going to be pounding his chest after this one. And, and saying that this is a new team, a new Dolphins team. And that's exactly what he was doing. That's exactly what he was saying. I mean, I watched the pregame last night, and they're showing an interview, one-on-one sit-down interview with Dan Campbell. And he's, you know, instead of being humble and saying, look, I know we're coming into New England, we're facing a tough team, he's sitting there going, well, uh, they, they woke up a sleeping giant. This league woke up a sleeping giant. I, I mean... What the fuck are you talking about? You beat the Titans and the Texans. And I was saying that at halftime of the Dolphins game last weekend. They, this is a different game for them on Thursday night against the Patriots at Gillette Stadium. The Patriots are in a different league. And, and I've been pointing this out week after week after week in the National Football League this season. There are the teams that are undefeated. And then I feel like there's everybody else. I mean, I guess there might be two or three teams that are not undefeated that you could put into the category of, you know, the better half of football in this league. But there's two different leagues. Honestly, there is two different leagues. And there is no way that you could have convinced me going into last night's game that the Dolphins were in the same league as the Patriots or were anywhere close because they won two straight with a new coach that has them doing Oklahoma drills during practice that has the Dolphins saying they're running around going well the games are easy for us because the practices are so difficult I mean come on this is the NFL at some point that's going to take its toll I got news for Dan Campbell I got news for the Dolphins organization I got news for the people in Miami at some point When you start losing some games, when you get back to losing, which you now did after last night, the Patriots beat the Dolphins 36-7 on Thursday Night Football. Now that you're back to losing, and when you lose a couple more games this season, what's going to happen? What are practices going to be like for you then? And are you going to like it? Are you going to keep liking this? Are you going to enjoy practicing the way you're practicing? As hot as you're practicing, I'm not saying you shouldn't practice hot. I'm not saying that you should be out there having walkthroughs every day in the practice facility uh, leading up to big games. I'm not saying that. But the way that the Dolphins are describing how Dan Campbell has changed things in that organization, 
you know, obviously they, they couldn't be as soft as they were under Joe Philbin. I understand that. But it, there's a middle ground I feel like there needed to be with what Dan Campbell's attitude was and with what Joe Philbin's attitude was. There's a middle ground there. And I don't think the Dolphins have that middle ground. Are they going to find it maybe after this type of loss? Well, when you listen to Dan Campbell last night, you know, he's up in that podium saying, I want this team, I, I, I want this game to eat away at them like it's eating away at me. This isn't the real Dolphins team. Well, I, I think that is the real Dolphins team. A Dolphins team last night that that showed they are not in the same league as the New England Patriots. Tom Brady last night in a 36-7 win, 26 of 38 passing for Brady, 356 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. He was sacked twice. The Patriots had offensive line issues going into the game. They experienced offensive line issues during the game. At the beginning of the fourth quarter, they had a big-time injury. A rookie, Trey Jackson, rookie god, Trey Jackson, goes down with an injury. Ryan Wendell comes in, fills in. The Pats score two more touchdowns after that. They scored two fourth-quarter touchdowns. You know, this was a game that right away the Patriots score on, what, their first possession of the game. They drive down the field. They give it a Gronk. They got a nice block. I think it was LaFell through that nice block, and Gronk just got on his horse. Nobody wants to tackle him in the end zone. 7 nothing Patriots, and I'm sitting there going, the game's over. This game's over. Now, I will give credit to the Dolphins. In that first half, after that touchdown, the Dolphins' defense they stepped up, they made some big plays, they made some big tackles, and they did not get they did not get manhandled by the Patriots offense like I thought they were going to after that first Patriots possession. So I'll give them credit for that. But, you know, the, the Dolphins offense, Ryan Tannehill on the other end, I've told you many times, I like Ryan Tannehill because he can, he, he's proven to me that he's been able to make the big boy throws in this league. He's been able to do that. And you saw it on a couple throws on their touchdown drive at the beginning of the second half to open the third quarter where the Miami Dolphins open up the second half by taking the ball and marching down 80 yards and scoring a touchdown. Tannehill made some big throws. But it's the mistakes that come along with it. It's the boneheaded throws that come along with it. It's the decisions that he makes to make some passes in areas of the field that come along with some of the big boy throws that he makes that that affects the way a lot of people in this league look at him and obviously affects the way this team, uh, you know, either wins or loses games. So Tannehill, he can make the big throw, but he can also make the big mistake. You know, that's a problem that haunts a couple different quarterbacks in this league. I throw Matt Ryan into that category a lot of a guy who can have big offensive days, can make big throws, but he always makes just these dumb mistakes when the team needs him to keep making the big throws. Now, Matt Ryan, I get it. His career, you know, if right now if you lined him up against the wall, you'd take Matt Ryan over Ryan Tannehill, right? But still... Do you feel confident when you have a guy like Matt Ryan? That's what I'm talking about. That feeling that you have with that guy on the center. The big playability that he has with his arm, but you also know he has the ability to just make dumb decisions and very bad throws in big moments of games. And, and that's what haunts Tannehill as well. And this Dolphins team, they only get that one touchdown drive. And the Patriots, they were all over Tannehill. You get a couple sacks from Chandler Jones in this one. Two sacks. Chandler Jones now, he leads the NFL with sacks with eight and a half. 
through eight weeks, uh, through seven games. The Patriots still undefeated, 7-0, 4-0 at home. Uh, but Chandler Jones with two more sacks. He's a couple sacks ahead of Cameron Wake, who has seven. Cameron Wake had a sack last night, one of only two Dolphins sacks. Cameron Wake, tough injury for him. What he tear his Achilles in the third quarter? That's, man, that sucks. That sucks for him. That sucks for the Dolphins. Because if there was anything that coming into this game last night, I thought maybe the Dolphins had an advantage. It was the, the pass rush that they were going to put on. The guys up front, Adamic and Sue, Cameron Wake, the guys that were going to attack Brady. But even with the offensive line issues, you know, even before Cameron Wake got injured, Yes, while Brady was under pressure, he did some things, you know, with his feet to create more time and space for himself, and he was able to still make the big plays. And they have that opening game drive down the field where they give it a gronk and they score. Then they get the safety on Tannehill. Patriots up 9 nothing. Uh, then you get a field goal after an interception. Logan Ryan, Deron Harmon, two interceptions from Tannehill on this one. And uh, the Patriots, again, Logan Ryan, Deron Hammond, with those interceptions, they both lead the points. First, the field goal, and then the Hammond interception led to a touchdown. So you can, when you not only get turnovers, but then turn them into points, that's obviously a huge plus. The Patriots were able to do that. And also, at the end of the second quarter, right at the end of the first half, uh, Deion Lewis gets a pass out of the backfield. And he runs it into the end zone untouched for 16 yard, a 16-yard touchdown. Puts the Patriots up 19 and nothing at the half. And you're going, you know, the Miami Dolphins, I get it. They want to be this big, bad, tough defense. But how do you not cover Deion Lewis in that situation? Deion Lewis had one heck of a game. And uh, this guy, the moves that he makes when he gets the football, uh, video game moves. He's a video game player. I mean, the deeks and the spin moves he makes, these are video game moves. Lewis ran for 19 yards on five carries, but it was the passes that he was catching out of the backfield. Lewis, six receptions, 93 yards receiving, and that one touchdown at the end of the half. Where's the Dolphins' defense? How do you not have anybody on them? They had nobody in the middle of the field. So you're doing that at Gillette Stadium. You have no shot to win this game. Um, and also have to mention Rob Gronkowski, 113 yards receiving on six receptions. That was a game high along with that touchdown at the very beginning of the game. And as I mentioned, the two fourth quarter touchdowns, 36 to seven Patriots win. And they come out and prove everything that I've been saying all week long to be true that the Dolphins and the Patriots are in two different leagues. I tweeted out last night, follow me on Twitter at Danny Picard. Welcome to the NFL, Miami. Because that's what it was. This was a welcome to the NFL moment for Dan Campbell as interim coach. Now, Dan Campbell's played in the league as a tight end, so it's not a welcome to the NFL moment for Dan Campbell. I'm talking about as a coach, as a head coach. He's interim right now, but as a head coach, this was a welcome to the NFL moment. And, and, you know, just coming into this game, I just... I don't know how you could even take the points. I mean, I talked yesterday, and I almost tweeted Bill Simmons last night. I almost did. Because I called him out on this podcast yesterday. I said, you know, in, in a world in which we don't just pick teams to win, we also look at the spreads. Uh, I, I told you that and even though the last two games for the Patriots there were backdoor covers, this was just a... This uh, this Dolphins team, you look at the teams that they've played, you look at the offenses that that defense has gone up against, 
They go into Gillette, a place for the Patriots just to not lose in, especially not this early in the season. I mean, it, there was nothing that you were showing me on paper that was, and even on film, on paper, on film, there was nothing that you were showing me that convinced me the Miami Dolphins were going to come in and cover this game. Now, Bill Simmons, in fairness to him, he said the Patriots are going to win. He expected a backdoor cover. But there was still nothing that showed me there was going to be any type of backdoor cover in this one. At least in that Jets game, I told you it was going to be close. And yeah, they got the Jets got the backdoor cover with the late field goal. I think they handled it the right way. I, I think more teams should do that. You get in field goal range, take the three points, and make sure you get the ball back with some time left rather than you keep driving it downfield in a two-possession game, wasting all the time so by the time you get the ball back, you have no time left. Yeah, I, I, the Jets handled it the right way. It was a backdoor cover, but for the, you know, if you obviously, look, if you took the Patriots, but I told you not to take the Patriots in that one. I said that was going to be a close game. And that the spread in that one just, you know, with the Jets' defense, the Patriots would win, but the Jets' defense was too good. You know, that was my reasoning for that. Uh, I was wrong with the Colts. I thought the Patriots would blow out the Colts. But when you talk about, if you want to get into, well, if you were scared about backdoor covers for that Colts game, hey, the Colts, their offense at home, I guess that would be a reasoning for it. This Dolphins game, there was no reasoning for it. Why? Because you just you felt a little scared? Based on what? Because the Dolphins had won two straight games against two? The Titans and the Texans? Like, it just didn't make sense to me. Anybody. So, I called Bill Simmons out yesterday as he tweeted that he was taking the points. He tweeted in fantasy to him. He still thought the Patriots would win. He thought it'd be close. But I called him out in the podcast. I almost tweeted him. I said, you know, hey, how's, how's that eight points working out for you? But I didn't want to be that guy because I don't like when... You know, when people tweet me when you get one game wrong, right, you get the, you're get you a real prick if you then tweet someone and say, oh, what, you, you got this pick wrong? Like, shut the fuck up. So I wasn't going to be that guy to Bill Simmons. And I don't think I'm going to be that guy to him today. I just called him out because I, I, I was trying to get him on the podcast, right? He's this big Boston sports guy, and, you know, we, I'm, we're from Boston. We do this fucking show in Boston. Why can't we get him on? But whatever. He got it wrong. Those of us who looked at this thing logically and thought there's no way the Dolphins were going to even come close to winning this game, uh, we got it right. And the Patriots win at 36-7, and they cover the eight points. So um, the Patriots now undefeated. I don't know who the fuck is going to beat them this season. You look at that Week 12 game in Denver because of Denver's defense, and maybe you could make an argument that that's going to be a close one. And in that type of close game on the road, sort of an anything-can-happen mentality. But with that said, would you really be surprised if the Patriots went into Denver and won that game? No. So this, I, I, you look at the schedule, I don't know who they're going to lose to. They're not going to lose to the Redskins. Bookies are getting killed because Patriots money line, people are just putting up like, you know, 6,000 to, to, to win nothing. I mean, they're, they're risking so much to win so much less, but they're still risking it because you know the Patriots money line, they're not going to lose these games. The Redskins got to buy this week, right? Washington's got to buy. Who are the buy teams this week? The Bills, the Jaguars, the Eagles, and the Redskins got buys. Buffalo, Jacksonville. Philadelphia, and Washington. They got buys. Redskins coming off a bye. They come to Gillette next week, 1 o'clock Sunday. I don't know what the opening spread is. I'm not, I, I don't even know if it's out. Is it out with more games to pl- be played on Sunday? 
regardless of what it is. I mean, you, Patriots' money line is guarantee here. Is Kirk Cousins going to come into Gillette and beat the Patriots? Come on. Really? Not going to happen. Uh, so he can run. Do you think Kirk Cousins is going to be running around the hallways of Gillette Stadium yelling, You like that? You like that? He's not going to do it. That's not going to happen. He's not going to be running around. If, if he's running around the hallways of Gillette Stadium before that game, I tell you what, he might be running around with NFL officials and they might be checking the page, you know, might be checking the visiting locker rooms at Gillette Stadium if, to see if they're bugged. How about that story that's out today? And you're like, we, look, I'm, I move on to the next game very quick. I'm like Belichick, Brady. I'm on to the next one. I'm on to the Redskins right now. Already. Already. I, I, I whooped the Dolphins. Dolphins, no shot. See you later. They shouldn't even have showed up last night. Did anybody, like, who are people picking this game to be close last night? Think about this. Look at the two teams. I, I just didn't understand anybody. That's why I called out Simmons yesterday. I don't understand it. I thought I knew him better than that. I thought he was better than that. This game was not going to be close. It wasn't. And even when the Dolphins drove down the field to begin the second half and scored, I'm saying, all right, what, 19-7? Honestly, you, what, you think the Patriots didn't make? Oh, Dolphins made halftime adjustments. You think the Patriots didn't? I mean, come on now. They come down, Patriots kick a field goal. Next thing you know, Tannehill throws uh, another interception. Patriots, they, they drive down the field. They only need to go 15 yards. They score to Julian Edelman. I mean, it, it was just, you know, and I felt like they could have put up. Here's the scary thing. I felt like the Patriots could have been much better in this game, too, on top of it. I mean, it's just, I, and I'm on. I'm on the, the Redskins, right? I am. But the rest of the league, the rest of the fan base, even the media, they just can't do the same thing because, you know, I'm putting together what I'm going to talk about in today's podcast. And right before I jump on, I get this story uh, from, I'm reading it in Pro Football Talk. Here's a story. It's the, of course, it's Deflate Gate related, but it's really Spygate related at the same time. Because what did people do when Deflate Gate started to go in the Patriots' favor? Everybody turned to Spygate. They, you know, they couldn't just accept the fact that the Patriots started to win Deflate Gate after eight months of bullshit. They had to say, oh, you know, what about Spygate? Well, quick, let's get something to get the Patriots. Quick, what are we going to do? Spygate. Oh, yeah. They just uh, started throwing the word out. So here's a story today. Yeah, which is stupid because, I mean, we've all moved on. But th- we're going back to the, there's a story about the Jets game last weekend. Boomer Esiason, WFAN in New York. Very successful morning show. Boomer and Cotton on their... Radio station in New York City and on TV. I believe it's on CBS, Sports Network, TV station, right? Uh, Boomer Esiason reported on his weekday radio show today that the Jets asked that their locker room at Gillette Stadium be swept for bugs in advance of Sunday's game against the Patriots last week. Now, I assume Boomer Esiason, who he was at Gillette last night, right? Doesn't I think he does like Westwood 1 radio, which is a crazy turnaround because his show is like 6 in the morning, 6 to 10 a.m. in New York City. Uh, Obviously not a long trip if he's at Gillette last night for Thursday night, but I believe for the Thursday night football games, Westwood One Radio, he does something for them. Call a commentary, he does something. So, and I believe there was, he was at Gillette last night, let's, all right, even if he wasn't, he got this information saying that 
the Jets asked that their locker room at Gillette Stadium be swept for bugs before last Sunday's game against the Patriots. And, you know, he had the stories about the Colts were, you know, Tony Dungy's talking shit about how they always thought the Patriots locker room locker rooms were bugged. And, and my reaction to it at the time, and even still, is, well, I mean, I one, I think the Patriots are in your head. Two, do you think that in the history of sports, locker rooms have never been bugged anyway? I mean, do, do you honestly think that if you go into another stadium, there's not something shady going on? I mean, it's home field advantage. I don't even, I, it, honestly, it's a, it's a non-issue to me. And, you know, I just feel like teams need to focus more on their own game plan rather than focus on what the other team that they're facing, how much of their game plan does the other team know about. I, you're thinking too much as an organization, as a player, as a coach, if you're doing that, and the other team's in your head. It's, it's, so to me, it's sort of a laughable notion. But all this stuff's coming out. Boomer Esiason said that. Now, the Jets have declined comment on the situation, but according to Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk, a source with knowledge of the situation tells him that the Jets did not request that the locker room be swept for bugs. However, the source did not deny that the locker room was, in fact, swept for bugs. So, it looks like, based on what Pro Football Talk is reporting, that the NFL swept the P- Patriots locker room, excuse me, swept the Jets locker room at the Patriots facility at Gillette Stadium for bugs before the game. They, they checked it on their own. Now... Here's another interesting tidbit in this story. A source tells Mike Florio that the Patriots have become concerned that a team will eventually plant bugs on its own and claim that the Patriots put them there. This has prompted the Patriots to ask the league to certify before each game that the visiting locker room is clean before an opposing team enters. Per the source... The NFL has declined to do this. Wow. So the Patriots, if this is right, the Patriots are telling the NFL, look, check the locker rooms before the game so you know we're not doing anything. And the NFL said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Instead, they check the locker room after the team gets there. Okay, Patriots want them to check the locker room before the team even shows up. Say, here's what it is. Now you can stand here, you can guard the door, you can watch the door, nobody's coming in, right? It's not like we got guys running around Gillette, flying into the visiting locker room, sneaking through security. Like, what the fuck do you think happens here? Uh, we're getting ready for a football game. But, you know, if you want to, look, let's, here's the deal. Why don't you check the locker room before they even show up, and, and that's that. Just so you know, just so we know, nobody's planting anything. Because that could happen. I mean, it could, right? I don't know. If somebody ever stooped that low, it would be, I, I mean, that would be one of the dumbest things and dumbest storylines I would ever see in professional sports. And and that team would not be winning that game if they're concerned more about planting fake or, or just planting things that look like the Patriots spying on them. I mean, how stupid is that? But, I mean, let's face it. This league has become so ridiculous that would you actually rule it out? I'm not, and neither are the Patriots, so they want someone to look at it. And the NFL's declined. Instead, the NFL is looking at the visiting team's locker room at Gillette Stadium after the team gets there to see if there's anything. Leaving the door open for somebody 
to plant some type of, I don't know, video camera? I have no idea. And that, will, you know, they'll be asking for fucking fingerprints after. This is so insane. It's not even funny. I mean, are we really talking about the Jets game? Are we still talking about that? Oh, man. Here's the deal. The final touchdown the Patriots threw, Tom Brady walks up to the line of scrimmage against the Jets, sees the blitz, it's coming at him, he's got the play set, he dumps it over to Gronk, touchdown, that's it. You're up two scores, Jets get a field goal late, they cover the spread, they don't have enough time to score a touchdown after they got the onside kick, they lose the game. They lost fair and square. Can we move on from that? I have. Patriots played another game. They've already played their week eight game. We're still talking about the week seven game. Ridiculous. But that's just, I mean, that just goes to show you how obsessed the rest of the league is with the Patriots' success. And I don't know when this success is going to end. And I hope it doesn't end anytime soon because I'm loving it. Patriots are 7-0. and They beat the Dolphins 36-7 last night. And I didn't expect anything less. In, in fact, I expected it to be, to, for the Patriots to score a few more points, I predicted uh, 41 to 16 in this one. 41 to 16 was my prediction. So what's that? The actual score was 36-7, a differential of 29. What was my prediction? 41-16, differential of 25. So I was close. I was close. But, uh, you know, I, I, I look at this Dolphins team and it's just not... You know, as they're playing this game last night, I hope anybody who thought this was going to be close started to realize to themselves, wow, I was an idiot. I was stupid. Like, this, you know, the Dolphins are the Dolphins, and their schedule's been terrible. They played terrible teams. They played terrible quarterbacks. They've yet to play an elite quarterback in this league, or really anything close to an elite quarterback in this league. And their last two wins with their new coach is the big, bad, tough guys, the Giants that have, the sleeping Giants that have been awoken. They have, they beat the Titans and the Texans. Hmm. Yeah, okay. So, we can move on. Patriots win. It's, it was an automatic. Now it's on to the Redskins, not on to the Flakegate or more Spygate. I'm not spending too much time on that. Uh, but we have a whole weekend of football before we can actually get deep into Patriots, Redskins. And uh, that's why today, to close out the show... I have my picks for week eight. Every Friday, I give you picks, picks, five games with the spread. I will close out the show with that. Um, but first, you know, I we need to move on, and we need to get to what's going on tonight and the next three nights, which is big, huge, the World Series. Game three tonight, Mets. This series goes to New York. It shifts to City Field for three games. Anybody who's interested, it's a 2-3-2 series which means that they played the first two in Kansas City. Kansas City won both of them. They have a two-games-to-none lead in the World Series. Uh, They had last night off, and they'll have three straight games now on three straight nights, Friday, tonight, Saturday, tomorrow, and Sunday. No days off, three straight games, all in New York. So the Mets, I told you game two was not necessarily must-win because it is a 2-3-2 series and because the Mets still have some solid pitching Uh, that they're going to throw out for at least two of the three games coming up next. Syndergaard tonight, uh, the young kid, Steven Matz, will go game four against Chris Young. 
That has not changed. Chris Young, who came in game one and pitched phenomenal out of the bullpen in that extra inning games, he is still slated to start in game number four tomorrow night on Saturday night. He'll go up against Steven Matz. And then the Mets on Sunday night, game five, if necessary, and it will be necessary because I think the Mets got this one tonight. I was wrong about game two, but, um, you know, I look back at game two and I told you on yesterday's podcast, DeGrom, they got in his head in that fifth inning. The four-run fifth inning, you know, DeGrom didn't get any swings and misses in that game, and he's not used to that. And he decided when he was in a little bit of trouble in that fifth and he had gone through the lineup already, he knew that he wasn't getting swings and misses. He felt the need in big spots to get that third strike, to give him the off-speed pitch. And three off-speed pitches that he gave him, he left him up in the zone, and the Royals crushed it. And each one of those three pitches, they drove in runs. And that was the game right there. That was the game. The mistakes by DeGrom to not stick with the fastball and to not feel confident, to lose confidence in that pitch. That's what he did. He lost confidence in it. And, and the and the Royals were in his head. Royals were in DeGrom's head. And I did not think that would happen because DeGrom, being on the road in this postseason, has been great. He won three games in this postseason going into that game, too, two nights ago. And he won all three. So I didn't see that changing. And Johnny Cueto on the other end, complete game, two-hitter. He was phenomenal. Royals lead the World Series two games tonight. Tonight, though, uh, we see Noah Syndergaard going up against Yodano Ventura. And if you're looking for a couple stats to, to maybe sway your opinion on which way you think this one's going to go, uh, Noah Syndergaard at home this season. And tonight's game will be a home game for him at City Field. At home. Much better at home. Noah Syndergaard at home in his career at City Field which is only this season because this is his first season, uh, in 12 starts at City Field for Noah Syndergaard. He is 7-2 and two with a 2.46 ERA. And the numbers on the road for Noah Syndergaard, 2-5 and five with a 4.23 ERA. So Syndergaard, much better at home. Uh, he, pitch, he throws more innings at home. He's thrown 84 innings. Same amount of starts, 84 innings in those 12 starts at home, as opposed to 60, 66 innings in 12 starts on the road. So Noah Syndergaard, he loves pitching at City Field. Keep that in mind if you're looking for Yadonov Ventura. His career on the road, uh, it's not that, it's a little worse than at home, but it's not that bad. At home, don't look at the record here, 13-12 and 12 in his career, Yadonov Ventura. In 31 starts at home, Ventura 13-12. and 12. But the ERA is 3.44. The ERA on the road in 30 starts, one less start, is 3.78. So it's not that crazy. Ventura's success level at home on the road isn't that much different. But Syndergaard's is. So I think you have to assume tonight that Syndergaard in this spot at home, the only thing that I, I guess if, you, if you're a Mets fan, I think you should be concerned about tonight is that Ventura's pitched in the World Series before. He pitched last year, and he was pretty damn good. Pitched two games in the World Series last year. He was good. Ventura was much better in the must-win game six that he needed to pitch to force a game seven against the Giants. And Ventura was awesome in seven innings, and he helped force that game seven. We know what happened there. Bumgarner took the Giants on, on, their ba- on his back, and San Francisco beat the Royals to win the World Series. Royals lost. 
Ventura's first game in that series, well, game two, was not as good. It was good, but it wasn't as good as the second one, the must-win one. Uh, but Ventura's been there before. You know, Syndergaard, you know, this, is, this isn't this is just a World Series start for him. This is a must-win, right? Syndergaard, this is a must-win for the Mets. And he's got to get it done. And this is, I know I told you that the experience and the pitching staff, it wasn't going to play that much of a role. Well, at this point, when you when you lose the first two, yes, now is a different conversation. I did not think they were going to lose the first two. I thought they would split in Kansas City. I thought the Mets would win in six. But this is much different. This is a situation in which, you know, it's a must-win. Must-win situation. So there's... Two factors to this. One, Syndergaard's been great at home, much better at home than he is on the road, and he loves pitching at home, loves pitching at City Field. And two, Ventura's got that World Series experience. Syndergaard doesn't, which I don't think, if the series was split 1-1, I don't know that I'd be looking that much into that aspect of it. But since this is now a must-win for the Mets, it, 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 that, does, that is a factor, the World Series experience. But um, I do think the Mets will get it done tonight. I do. And I think that they will go into game four tomorrow night with Chris Young, Steven Matz, which I have no idea what's going to happen. Every time it seems I bet against Chris Young because he only throws 88 miles an hour, he seems to dominate. And what you hear the professional hitters talk about with Chris Young is that he's huge. He's so tall that sometimes, you know, the 88, that can be a de- 88 miles per hour, that can be a deceiving number. Because his stuff actually comes off a whole lot better than that because his arm slot is so high and it's like, you know, you are really hitting downhill. You're hitting downhill anyways, right? Or, you know, he's throwing downhill anyways. You know, he's throwing even more downhill when he's that tall, when he's the size of an NBA center. So that's a difference that I really haven't factored in too much when I bet against Chris Young. But man, at some point this postseason, doesn't somebody have to hit a guy who throws 88 miles an hour? In a postseason that's been dominated so much by guys that are throwing heat, doesn't at some point someone have to come through on this guy? So, would you? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Mets win the next two. And this comes down to a rematch of game number one, Volquez versus Matt Harvey. And, you know, Volquez, who says he's going to pitch, his father passed away. I believe he left and went home for that. And, you know, if he does pitch like he says he's going to win game five, and there will be a game five. He'll be pitching with his heart on his sleeve and, um, you know, a heavy heart. And, look, we'll all be feeling for him. And, and even though I picked the Mets to win, I'm telling you right now, I always root against Matt Harvey. The things that have happened with Matt Harvey at the end of the season, I can't cheer for the guy. The whole Matt Harvey plan at the end of the year is the team's trying to clinch a, a, a pennant, team's trying to clinch a division. Come on. And then on top of that, going into the playoffs, you missed a mandatory meet team workout. You missed it. You're the ace. You missed a mandatory team workout? Come on. I, I can't root for Matt Harvey. And on top of that, Volquez pitching with a heavy heart. I mean, I'm going to be rooting for him. So I, as much as I pick the Mets, I get to that game five. I'm going to be rooting for Volquez. I will be rooting for the Royals in that one. Rooting against my own pick. But I'm not going to be surprised if this series goes back to Kansas City. I really won't. But the Mets need to win tonight to even make that a possibility. Syndergaard, Ventura, possible Game 7 preview tonight. Because these two guys, Syndergaard, Ventura, if this thing does go the distance in Kansas City, then if there's a Game 7, it will be the matchup you see tonight. So possible Game 7 preview. Syndergaard, 
versus Ventura. I think the Mets win it tonight and cut the series lead for the Royals down to two games to one. So I'll react to all this, this whole, because, I mean, they're playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know, we'll know if it's going back to Kansas City by Monday, the day off, uh, the travel day, and I'll be here, I'll be back Monday. I'll also, a little programming note, I'll be on WEEI, I'll be on WEEI tomorrow, what, 4 to 7, I believe? I think that's the schedule. Follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard, also on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Danny Picard Show. I'll keep you updated on my weekend radio schedule there, but as of right now, I believe it's tomorrow, Saturday, WEEI, 4 to 7 o'clock, and uh, we'll keep an eye on the World Series. Regardless, I'll be reacting to it and breaking it down on Monday's podcast, and I'll also be reacting to NFL week number eight. So what are we waiting for? Let's close out the week. Halloween weekend is upon us. Let's close it out with my picks for week number eight. Picks, picks. Hit the music. I pick five games with the spread every single Friday. And I got a ballsy week this week. I made some ballsy picks. Some real just ballsy predictions this weekend. But I had to. It's. I think it's a tough week. I don't like many of the games. And a lot of the teams that I did like are road teams. I guess you could say the last couple weeks I took the easy way out and I picked some of the home. I took some of the home cooking. And in a league that is so bad all around, outside of a handful of teams, maybe not even a handful of teams, but yeah, a handful of undefeateds. Look, we'll have one less undefeated team guaranteed uh, by the end of week eight because the Packers and the Broncos play each other in Denver on Sunday Night Football. That's going to be a great game. I can't wait uh, to get to that and watch that game Sunday night. But it's a a guarantee one of those teams will lose, so we'll have one less undefeated team. But outside of a handful of teams coming into this week, it's an ugly league, as I always talk about. And being such an ugly league, a lot of times you take the home cooking because that's what really, that's what the difference is in this league a lot of these weeks. And um, at least I feel that way in some of these picks. But this week, week eight, picks, picks, I only have one home team. I wish the Thursday night football game could be a factor because the last two weeks I got it right. Seattle Seahawks over the 49ers. Last week I got that right with the spread. This week, last night, Patriots minus eight. Got that right with the spread. I wish I could factor it in, but I never do. Uh, Maybe at some point later in the season, I'll go back and calculate my Thursday night games. But uh, I do pretty good in the Thursday night. But I never factor it in to pick picks. I only take the Sundays and sometime the Monday night game. I did not take the Monday night game this week. It's Carolina hosting Indy. It's a seven-point spread. Undefeated Panthers. I think Panthers will win. You know, I'm not sure. Who knows if they cover. I just think that the Colts, I know they've been all over the place. They lost to New Orleans. Uh, it looks ugly for Andrew Luck right now. He's been dealing with an injury with his throwing shoulder this season. But I fe- always feel like at some point they can break out and have a big game offensively. And I would not want that to happen on a night in which I pick a team to cover a seven-point spread. I just don't want that to happen. So I'm going to stay away from that one for the time being. My five teams. First of all, let me give you my record. I went 3-2 and two last week. The Chargers and the Cardinals screwed me last week. The Cardinals did not cover Monday Night Football against the Ravens, and the Chargers, they did not cover against the Raiders uh, on Sunday. So those two teams screw me um, on the season. 
I am 16, 18, and 1, with the 1 being a push. And I'll never forget that push. It was Detroit. They won it in overtime with a field goal. I, I think they were they were three-point favorite, right? They won it in overtime over the Bears a couple weeks ago. And it was a game that nobody wanted to win. And they threw a deep pass down to Calvin Johnson, and he caught it right before the goal line. And Detroit said, all right, we'll kick the field goal right now. And I really needed them to get the touchdown. They didn't get it, and that was a push. Was it a loss? No, because I don't tell you to parlay the games. I tell you to just take them one by one. All right? But again, as I always preface picks, picks, you're an adult. You can make your own decisions. I'm counting it as a push. I am 16, 18, and 1 on the season. Let's have another bounce back week, shall we? Game number one, I'm going with the Minnesota Vikings as a one-point underdog over the Bears in Chicago. I told you going into the season, the Vikings are going to be a playoff team. And if when you look at what the Vikings are doing this season, they are 4-2. and two. They are coming off a win in Detroit over the Lions, a comeback win. Adrian Peterson, a nice rushing day. He loves to, to run and play against the Lions. So the Vikings win that one. They have now won two straight, 4-2 and two on the season. They're not going to win the division because Green Bay is 6-0. And it's just not going to happen. Green Bay is going to win the NFC North. But Minnesota, they're going to win one of the wild card spots, I'm telling you. And they're going to do it because Adrian Peterson has returned and is an absolute animal. And I don't see that stopping this weekend in Chicago. Because when I look at defensive stats in the NFL, the Chicago Bears, you can run all over them. The Bears, uh, they are 26th in the league in rush defense out of 32 teams, 26 in the league. They allow 124.8 yards per game on the ground. They allow 30 points a game. The Minnesota Vikings should be able to run all over the Bears in Chicago. The Bears are not a good team, and I like the Vikings D as well. So I got to take the Vikings as a one-point dog. This is basically a pick em. I think the Vikings go into Chicago. They win the game. I just I feel like there's no way they lose this one. And it's not like they're going in as some type of four-point favorite where the Bears could possibly, um, where they could, you know, the Vikings could win and they only win by three and the Bears cover and, and win that. It, that's not the situation that we're in right now. The Vikings are underdogs, and I think they're going to win the game anyways. So I'm taking Minnesota. Another big day for Adrian Peterson, who should be able to run all over the Chicago Bears' run defense, which is one of the worst in the league. So Minnesota Vikings plus one over the Bears in Chicago. Game number two, I got the New York Jets as a three-point favorite over the Raiders in Oakland. The New York Jets, one of the best defenses in all of football. They only allow 17 points a game. Now they allowed 30 points to the Patriots last weekend. And it was a tough loss for the Jets, but it was I don't, should I say a rude awakening? It, I won't say rude awakening. I'll say it was the Jets' biggest test offensively. Now, they come into a game against the Raiders in Oakland. It's not going to be an easy day for the Jets' defense because you, you, if you've watched what the Raiders' offense has been able to do and the weapons that they have and the way Derek Carr's played this year, I, I really like Derek Carr. I like the way he throws the ball. And on top of the weapons that he has, they can be a dangerous offense. They do have some inconsistencies uh, because Derek Young is such an inexperienced quarterback and because I've seen their coaching philosophy sometimes get away from being aggressive with the football in close games. 
but I feel like the Jets, coming off a loss against the Patriots, whether or not they had the, their own locker room at Gillette Stadium uh, tested for bugs or whatever was going on before that game, I don't know that, just because we're talking about it, I don't know that the Jets are still talking about it or even were talking about it or cared about it at the time. Uh, bottom line is this. The media, I think, cares about that story that I read you today more than the Jets do. And I think the Jets' defense is for real. And I think the Jets' defense goes into Oakland. I think they're hungry. And if you're wondering what the Jets' offense, I don't love the Jets' offense. And I don't necessarily think they're going to be able to run the football on Oakland, who is a pretty good run defense. The Raiders only allow 84.3 yards on the ground. That's third best in the NFL. But Oakland's pass defense, it is the absolute worst in football. The Raiders rank 32nd out of 32 teams, allowing 303 pass yards a game this season. Raiders allow 25 and a half points a game. Uh, I got to take the Jets in this one. Think that they're think that their offense will be able to put up points and their defense will be good enough to slow down an offense that can be overpowering at times, uh, but their inexperience might catch up to them against this veteran Jets defense and this Jets defense that is. If it's, look, if it's not the best in the league, it's top two, right? And so you, I got to go with the Jets in this one as a three-point favorite over the Raiders in Oakland. Then, yes, I'm doing it again. The San Diego Chargers, they keep screwing me over here. And they actually, they lost to Oakland last week. They got embarrassed. Now, Antonio Gates returned from a suspension, four-game suspension for performance-enhancing drugs. And when he first came back, you could see how much Phillip Rivers loved every second of it. I mean, we are, we've always known that Rivers loves going to Gates anyways, but Gates is now down with an injury here the last couple weeks. I don't think he's going to play this weekend, so it's an even more risky bet to take the Chargers as a three-and-a-half-point underdog on the road, the fact that they're going on the road. But look at it this way. At least this is the way that I'm going to look at it. Sure, Chargers right now, they only have two wins. They're in last place in the AFC West. But the last time that the Chargers were on the road, it was in Green Bay two weeks ago, and they, they had a shot to tie the game on the final possession to take it to overtime. They, you could make the argument that San Diego should have given Green Bay their first loss of the season. So San Diego is they're up and down. They're a roller coaster of emotions if you take them to win games, especially with the spread this season. And yes, they are going on the road, but they're playing the Baltimore Ravens. I'm sorry. At some point, the talent is going to help the Chargers win games, even with some running back issues, even with Antonio Gates being out of games again, now with an injury. I still believe that Phillip Rivers and the talent that this San Diego team has is better than what their record shows. And I'm sticking with them. They screwed me last week, but they go on the road this week to play the Baltimore Ravens. Maybe this shows that I just cannot I, I just can't believe that Baltimore is going to be any good ever at all this season. The Ravens sort of screwed me last week, as I told you, with the Cardinals. But the Cardinals, at the same time, they did that to themselves against Baltimore Monday night. Cardinals missed a field goal. They missed an extra point. Their punter held the ball for 25 seconds before he tried to get it off, and it was blocked. And they basically they handed the Ravens points at that moment to cover. Um, look, the Ravens, they're one of the worst teams in football. They only have one win this season. They shouldn't even have a win. And I know I keep saying that when I pick against them on Pitch Fix, but I'm going again. San Diego's an underdog. 
I don't care where this game's played. They're a better team than Baltimore, and they're getting points. Even if they only win by three, even if they win the game, I cover. Forget that. If they win the game, I cover. I think San Diego should be able to beat Baltimore, even in Baltimore. So I'm going to stick with the Chargers, and I'm going to take them at plus three and a half. Seahawks, six and a half point favorite. They go into Dallas. The Seahawks coming off a must-win game. A must-win over the San Francisco 49ers last week on Thursday Night Football. So they've had some time off here coming into this one. They go into Dallas, a Cowboys team that lost to the Giants last weekend. Not because the Giants won that game, but because the Cowboys handed them the game. Matt Castle, they decide to put him on the center after a bye week. He was terrible. He kept turning the ball over. Is Des Bryant going to play for the Cowboys? They're saying he might, but if he does, he his playing time is going to be limited. It's going to be limited. So I don't even know how much that's going to do for Matt Castle or how much that's going to do for their offense. McFadden is probably going to get, once again, most of the carries out of the backfield, especially with Randall being in some type of... Uh, he's in trouble with the NFL, violating personal conduct or something. I'm not necessarily sure about the details of that, but... Even if it is McFadden, it doesn't matter. Even if it Des Bryant plays, he's going to be limited. Matt Castle is the quarterback. He's no good, and he's still going to be rusty. I don't think he shook any of the rust off against the Giants last week. Yes, they're in Dallas. Yes, the Cowboys. You look at them right now. They have lost four straight games. But the Seattle Seahawks, six-and-a-half-point favorite, which means they only have to win this one by a touchdown. They only have to win this one by seven points. Can the Seahawks, with their defense, which is still one of the tops in the league, right? Their pass defense, third in the league, allowing 200 yards a game in the air. The Seahawks only allow 18 points a game. The Dallas Cowboys? Well, I, I just can't buy into their offense doing much damage to the Seattle defense. I don't care where the game's played. I think Seattle can go in. They can win. Seattle is another one of these teams. You look at their record, and it doesn't necessarily tell the whole story as to what their team has been able to accomplish this season. I'm sorry. It it, it just doesn't. So they're 3-4. and four. Uh, Seattle is. Uh, they're they're going to get back to 500. I think they're going to beat the Cowboys. Look, what the, one thing the Seahawks have proven to me this season, even at 3-4, and four, is they've been able to beat the teams they should beat on this schedule. Like, they lost to St. Louis in Week 1 in St. Louis. The Rams are showing to be a pretty good team this season, aren't they? At, at what, at 3-3 three and three right now? And in St. Louis, Seattle seems to always have a tough time in St. Louis, at least from what I can remember. Then they lost in Green Bay. Uh, their other losses came at Cincinnati, undefeated. At home against uh, Carolina. Carolina's undefeated. So they lost to... Three of their four losses, Seattle's this year, come, have come to three currently undefeated teams. So it's not the easiest schedule in the world, but they have beat the teams they should beat. They beat the Bears, they beat the Lions, they beat the 49ers. Should they beat a banged-up Cowboys team with Matt Castle on the center, even if it's in Dallas? Of course they should. So, and I think they should beat them by more than 6.5. I'm going to take the Seahawks as a 6.5-point favorite over the Cowboys in Dallas. And my fifth and final pick, it is my only home team. And I went back and forth on this. I really did. I went back and I went forth. And I'm telling you right now, I don't know how Ben Roethlisberger is going to look in this game. I have no idea. But he's going to play. And it's in Pittsburgh. 
And I'm just going with how I feel. You rip open my chest and you ask me how I feel deep down inside about this Steelers team and the Steelers offense this season. If, if I didn't hate the Steelers because I'm a Patriots fan, like if I was just a neutral NFL fan, I would love the Steelers offense. But Ben Roethlisberger needs to be the quarterback of that Steelers offense for everything to run normally, right? He does. He needs to be the quarterback for that offense. Uh, he's going to return a little bit sooner than I expected from this MCL injury. And because it is sooner than I expected, I'm not so sure about his mobility. It's his left leg. It's his plant leg. What are those throws going to look like to Antonio Brown? I know this. He's got Le'Veon Bell, too. The fact that Big Ben is returning, I think it's going to fire the boys up. I think since in Pittsburgh, look, if this game was in Cincinnati, Steelers against the undefeated Bengals, I'd be telling you, "Ah, I can't take it. And if I did take it, you made me take it, I'd take the home team. I'd take Cincinnati. It's in Pittsburgh. Place is going to be rocking. I got to take the Steelers as a one-point favorite in an absolute AFC North dogfight. Steelers, they're going to win a close one. But even if it's close, it's a one-point spread. It's essentially a pick I don't expect the Bengals to stay undefeated all season long. If the Bengals are going to lose a game here, it's going to be against Big Ben's Steelers in Pittsburgh. So I'm going with Pittsburgh. Ballsy week for me, but one home team, and even the home team is a ballsy pick, not knowing what Big Ben is going to look like. But if he is out there and he can throw the football anywhere to how we're used to seeing him throw it, he's got some serious weapons on that offense, and they should be able to put up some points against this Cincinnati defense. And maybe Cincinnati, they get punched in the mouth for the first time this year, and when when they're on the road, maybe that gives the Steelers' defense a little bit of juice, a little bit of life, makes them better than maybe they actually are. I'm all over Pittsburgh minus one. So my picks for week number eight in the NFL, I'm going Vikings plus one, Jets minus three, Chargers plus three and a half, Seahawks minus six and a half, and Steelers minus one. Picks, picks, week number eight. I give them every single Friday to close out the week. Five games with the spread, uh, looking to continue to build on right now what is a 16-18-1 and one record. I mean, I started the season 4-1 and one, week one, 4-1. and one. Last week, I went 3-2. and two. The week before that, I went 2-2 two, two and a push, 2-2-1. Two, two and one. So, I've been pretty good. And if you factor in the Thursday night games that I've given you the last two weeks, I got those right too. I know we're not adding them to my picks-picks record, but, you know... I'd like to say just my mindset right now, my confidence level, I do feel like I'm kind of on a roll. And the losses that I've had, they've just been bad beats. And even if I had to pick them over again, I'd I'd stick with the picks I made. Like, I haven't had many regrets this season. Sometimes you make some bad picks, you have regrets. Ah, no regrets. You know what? No regrets this week either. With this saying, Big Ben's going to play. So that's why I'm going with the Steelers there for that final Game. I'm here five days a week. DannyPicard.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and really anywhere that podcasts are available. Follow me on Twitter at Danny Picard. Like my Facebook page, Facebook.com slash the Danny Picard Show. Once again, I'm on WEEI 93.7 FM in the Boston and New England area. Tomorrow, Saturday, 4 to 7 o'clock at night, 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. If that schedule changes, I'll let you know. That's why you got to follow me on Twitter and Facebook and all forms 
of social media. So I'll talk to you then. And then back here on the podcast to break down and react to NFL Week 8 and react to the World Series on Monday. Have a great and a safe Halloween weekend, everybody. Talk to you next week.